You are listening to Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. First broadcast on Rossendale Radio on the 24th of May, 2020. This week, Paul talks with stand-up comedian and children's comedy exponent, Tien and Dewey 104.7 Rossendale Radio And so welcome to our waffle segment for this week. Uh, it's Paul Jenkins here at the Weekend Wind Down and every week we speak to somebody about words. We've had all sorts of people on the waffle segment. We've had ghostwriters, we've had copywriters, we've had people talking novels, we've had people talking poetry, we've had performers, we've had writers, we've had people who want to stay behind the scenes. We even had a librarian last week uh, and we'll talk about that uh, and how you'll get hold of the podcast of that and a little later on in the show. Uh, but this week we're taking a completely different departure because we're talking to somebody who works with words uh, in a performance capacity because they're a stand-up comedian. We will be spending a little bit of time with Tien and Dewey. I had an absolute uh, honour, I would say, honour because uh, this man's worked with some very, very great people uh, and is a very, very funny gentleman indeed uh, and also just a pleasure to talk to. Uh, this is my chat I had with Tien and on Friday. Okay, welcome to 104.7 Rossendale Radio. It's Paul Jenkins here on the Weekend Wind Down, and of course it's our waffle segment. And today we have a treat for you because we will be speaking to Tien and Dewey who should be on the end of the line for me now. Hello, I am. I am indeed here uh, and waffle ready. Waffle ready. Where, whereabouts are you ready to waffle? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm currently in, uh, I, I live in North London and I am in what I would say is probably the hottest room in our flat uh, where I have to do all my um, sort of podcast interviews and uh, online gigs at the moment. I've chosen the worst room in our flat to do all these things because you have to wear big headphones and right. have all the windows closed to stop all the noise. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. We've got the windiest day in, in Christendom. We've, uh, half the furniture has been blowing around the garden this morning. So I've been soundproofing the living room. This is This is the times we live in. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it sort of sounds like it's, that'd be quite a fun thing to watch out the window as you record stuff. You see all your furniture dancing. Oh yeah, definitely. There's nothing better than an upturned garden swing to, to kind of really set the mood alight in the neighbourhood. It's it's nice. <laughs> I, well, I think you've got to treasure these things. We had uh, somebody, uh, a man came to fix a lamppost on the street the other day and they got, you know, they had one of the mechanical ladders and, and me and my daughter watched it out the window like it was a, an amazing new film. That it was something different. To have a look at. <laughs> you need Andrew Cotter doing commentary for you on that. That's the that's the answer. He's doing, he's doing it for Labradors. Uh, right, now, Tina, now, we haven't even got on to, to, uh, to what you do. You do, uh, well, you're like me, you don't do a proper job, I don't think. We, I, I don't describe a poet as a proper job. Do, do you consider do, what you do as a living as a proper job? No, oh my goodness, of course not. No, um, no, I'm, <laughs> Are we key workers? No, I'm, I'm not sure. No, well, this is it. Is it. There are people right now doing really proper, very important jobs and saving lives and really, you know, helping out in this crisis. And I'm a stand-up comedian. My job means <laughs> what do i do i i mean you know I, you can see why i can't really do it right now but it normally yeah. involves me shouting at people i don't know in a room with no windows <laughs> tell it, trying to make them laugh um it's not a proper job but it is it is what i've been doing now uh oh my goodness coming up to 16 years this year it's i was gonna say it's uh, and you've uh, i mean first of all so how do you get into stand-up in the first place is there a moment where you suddenly go oh i appear to be making people laugh how's that i wonder if i should make something of this uh, well, Paul, I slightly cheated, as uh, I think you know, because I uh, I did a course at the uh, University of Kent, where was where which is where I met you quite Indeed. some years ago, um, and I did a stand up comedy course there because it was part of my drama degree, and um, and it looked 
easier than some of the other courses I could have chosen. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it sounded fun. I just, I always wanted to perform. I, I really wanted to do acting um, until I knew about this course. And I took it and my, my very first stand-up gig, I think something in my head just said, no, this is exactly what I need to do mm. from now on. I, I've never felt a rush like it. Um, and I think it's quite a lot of comedians I know, they say that the first gig, even if it goes really badly... You just know, right? This is what I have to do now. It's mm. just, there's a there's a, a drive. Um, it's it's very odd. I think a lot of comedians sort of talk about it like it's a almost like it's a problem that we have that we just need to do it. <laughs> we need to go and talk <laughs> to audiences and make them laugh and and write comedy about everything we see and do. And so, really, I did that at, at university for a year. And as soon as I left university, I started gigging on the proper uh, circuit and travelled around the country doing sort of you start doing five minute gigs and then 10 minute gigs and then you get to do 20 minute sets and half an hour and then hour shows and yeah. it builds and builds and builds and um here i am 16 years later with a cv that's pretty much empty apart from shouting at people so <laughs> and it's it's taking you all over the place hasn't it you've done you've done a quite a lot of traveling i know you've done some some gigs abroad as well which is which i i mean i don't know how that works with with different cultures and all sorts of things do they do they still find the same things funny yeah, do you know, I'll tell you what's really funny. So I, I've done some lovely, lovely gigs abroad. And um, what is interesting is there are certain countries, like, for example, uh, Norway, right? Uh, mm. When I gigged in Norway, I was the only English-speaking act on the bill. And so they'd have uh, a Norwegian-speaking host, and they'd have a couple of Norwegian acts, and then they would speak in Norwegian to introduce me, and I'd just hear my name said. And then I'd have <laughs> to walk on, and I'd have to talk really slowly like this, which is very hard for me because I'm a fast talker. <laughs> Um, but it's like it almost I always my first joke was always that this could be a trap because I had no idea what they said. They could be saying that we welcomed him on stage. Everyone lynch him, you know, or like, you know, kidnap the English tourist. But um, so it is. A, but what was interesting is even listening to the other acts, you could understand the rhythms. You knew where the joke would come mm. because you could hear how they build it up. And and, and uh, I found this sort of all over the world where I've, I've done lovely gigs in places like Hong Kong and in, in Malta and all sorts mm. of funny places, Iceland. And, and um, if you listen to stand-ups who are doing it in a different language, there's still the same rhythms and there's still the same beats to it, which is just fascinating. It's, I think it is one of those things. Maybe there's there's that whole thing about people having funny bones, or maybe there's a, there's there's something else we pick up on. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you know there's there's not so much stand up that that can happen in this kind of like new through the screen life we're all living at the moment and that that's it, it's it very much you have to kind of feel feed off the room, don't you, and feed off the people that you're with and get the rhythm of the room and and that sort of thing. It's, well, that's what's really important. I think so. one of the key things you were saying earlier about like, doing gigs in other places is one of the things you do have to do, or that I learned the hard way, mm. is you have to just find a, a way to connect with them, a way to relate to them. Um, so I would always start wherever I was in the country, in the world, just by something about them, just to say, look, I understand where you are and I understand that I'm here with you. And now we're doing this online. It's tricky uh, because you don't know who you're looking at. You can't hear their laughter. They might put clapping emojis or laughing emojis. It doesn't feel the same. It knocks all your timing off a bit because you don't have the reactions to bounce off. Mm. But on the other hand, we're all going through the same thing together around the world. Everyone is suffering from this pandemic. And so we've all got things that we're all having to do. And quite a lot of people around the world are having to stay at home. So I did an online gig the other night and there were people in there from Prague and from uh, the US. And there was someone from Bombay. And wow. Because they too, they too are, are in a lockdown. And so actually uh, there's not, you know, there are quite a lot of things that we connect on.
it, it was quite nice i've done i've done a couple of poetry gigs on online during the lockdown and it's you can now that you've got everybody in front of you it is almost the, the same as having it but you can you can at least pick up on facial expressions of of, of and people nodding in certain places which is uh, even if then they're, they're muted to to kind of keep the sound down um, and just just before we go to your first music break i just want to have that, a chat with you about sort of just like your most notable gigs the things that you kind of uh, sort of over the 16 years or so you go you know that one's that one was a really good one what 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 are the ones that really stand out for you that's a really hard question because uh i think the funny thing is and i don't know if you find this with your shows but all the good ones tend to blur into one big lump and then all the bad ones really stick out very clearly in my mind oh yeah so, <laughs> like, well i mean if we want we'll talk about all the times you died that's <laughs> <laughs> i mean there is there is a gig this must have been even four or five years ago now at Blackwood Miners Institute in deepest Wales, <laughs> where I did 30 minutes to complete an utter silence. Wow. And it, it haunts me to this day. I still have nightmares about it. <laughs> uh, just, I walked on to no applause. The, the, the compare introduced me. They didn't even clap. I walked on to nothing. I left to nothing. <laughs> I tried everything. I tried talking to them. I tried stories. I tried quick jokes. I tried topical. I tried non-topical. Nothing worked at all. And I walked off to nothing. And then the next act went on and immediately made them laugh and it uh, it just it's still in my gut whereas you know, <laughs> I've done some properly lovely gigs at festivals I've done some very very big venues with um supporting acts that I really uh you know I'm excited to meet and work with um did a lovely one at St David's Hall outside Cardiff to about two and a half thousand people supporting um Frankie Boyle there for a charity cause it was to raise money for a young boy um who needed uh, a lot of medical care and we raised him something like fifteen thousand pounds it was quite incredible and and that was an amazing gig but I I, I know I've done it I can't remember anything about it no. <laughs> because it went well so I've got no idea how it went I can't remember it oh well I'll tell you what we, we could probably come back on the on this because we're going to be talking about comedy club particularly uh, for, for children uh, in the in the next segment, but we got, we're just coming up to a music break actually. Uh, so uh, we, you've you've chosen for your first uh, tune, Broken Bells. Yeah, so this is um, a, a band. Broken Bells is uh, the lead singer of the Shins, whose name I can't remember, mm. and uh, DJ Danger Mouse. And uh, I, I don't know if you found this uh, music. I find constantly comforting. And being asked to pick even three tracks when speaking to people mm. was incredibly hard because <laughs> I listen to different things every day, depending on the weather and the time of day and yeah. what mood I'm in. Um, but just in the recent weeks, I've gone back to quite a lot of music I used to listen to even 20, 30, oh, 20 years ago. I, it's, I thought this was much more recent track than that. It's not. <laughs> um, but sort of 20, 30 years ago, um, I don't know, tracks that I found comforting then, uh, I'm really enjoying now. So I've been listening to a lot of The Shins and the lead singer of The Shins in Broken Bell. So I then moved on to that and remembered how much I just absolutely love this track. And as a result, it's been played a lot, um, even though my daughter says she hates it. So right. I'm still making her listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is The High Road. 104.7 Rossendale Radio. Welcome back to the Weekend Wind Down. It's Paul Jenkins here speaking to Tiernan Dewieb. Uh, now, Tiernan, you've, uh, as well as your uh, sort of stand-up gigs for adults that we've been talking about, and, you know, playing to two and a half thousand people at a time is a is a massive thing, um, you also are really instrumental in something that I think is pretty unique and uh, and, and will be a real interest to people uh, listening this afternoon. And it's something called Comedy Club for Kids. Uh, how on earth does that work? <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, it is. It sort of is what it says on the tin. It, it's a comedy club, um, as much like you might go to as a grown-up. Um, but it is suitable for children and mm. happens earlier in the day. And all the comedians do material that is. Um, I think it's very key that not only is it suitable for families and is clean, but mm. also it's um, for kids and it's about stuff they know and they understand and things they're interested in. So, um, I mean, you know this because a, a lot of your poetry is very funny and kids and kids love it and kids love to laugh they love to laugh and it seems absolutely bonkers that they don't have stand-up uh which is about making people laugh (laughs) it should be for them too i mean because you've had a a range of comedians working with with uh, comedy club for kids and uh, how how have they found it coming to you is uh, have there been comedians that have i I don't mean to to name names obviously but have you had instances where people have come to you and, and actually struggled to either amend their set or write new material yeah, we've had that quite a few times. I mean, it normally takes somebody three or four goes, I think, to work out what to do. And and we always say to acts, come and tr- do a tryout for us. Not just not just to see, you know, we've obviously got to make sure they're family friendly. We can't put anything on that isn't. Hmm. But also we say to them, like, just to make sure you enjoy it. Because it's a very different experience. And, and I think it's a much better experience. I think kids are an amazing audience. They're excited about a show. Mm. They want to. They don't really ever heckle maliciously. They just tell you what's in their brain that's fizzing around in their mind as they're listening <laughs> to you. Um, you know, they, they sit in the front row immediately because it's brilliant. Um, and I love that. But for some comedians, it's quite a leap. They're not used to it. And so we say, come and try it a few times. And then once people have tried it a few times you learn that either they really work out how to change the material they've already got, or sometimes they do something completely different and bespoke for us that they wouldn't do for adults because they know they can be more adventurous or they can talk about things that, you know, kids will get on board with that adults wouldn't. Um, We have some acts that always uh, specifically improvise. So, so for example, James Acaster, who now is arguably one of the biggest comedians in the world right now, um, when he performs for us, he actually does an improvised set, which he bases on uh, sort of saying that he wants to write a love letter to his girlfriend and he gets the children to help him write it. (laughs) So it always has things like, hello, toilet breath, I love you. (laughs) You know, and then he he reads out in a beautiful way, but he's planned it all so that it will things will fall into place and how the structure works. It's really fun. Um, or Nish Kumar, for example, who's mm. also very, uh, a lot of people know now from the MASH report. Um, Nish specifically has written a set where he just gets kids things wrong. So he asks them about that brilliant film, It's Freezing, with the song, <laughs> let us go to the shops so we can buy some ham. And all the children go, no, that's not what it's called. Ah! And, you know, they laugh at this stupid man getting things wrong. And so, some people adapt and, and other acts like Tom Allen, um, who, who people might know from uh, the, I can't remember what the Bake Off show is called. He's on TV lots now. Yeah. But he does his same set that he used to do a few years ago because um, it was all about him going to school. And he right. just removes the few unsuitable bits mm. and then does it as it is. And kids love it. I think that's the thing is that, that it's always that kind of thing with, with working with kids. It's not being patronising and just saying, you know, I'm just changing things because, you know, this is your scope. This is this is your realm that we're talking about here. And I'm just talking to you on your level and not sort of saying, and here's something I've made for you, children. It's it's yes, it, it's very much about treating them with the, the maturity. So, I mean, I, I would imagine that what's the what's the age range of audiences, do you think, that you usually well, get? 
we put a sort of limit we we sort of roughly say it's we reckon it's six to twelve year olds mm. uh, because after twelve they go oh this is too babyish for me <laughs> i am now yeah. a teenager i want to sug um and and i'll be honest 12 i think to 16 17 is the hardest audience in the world because they want grown-up comedy but aren't old enough to really get it or yeah. have it and they are too old for children's comedy so th- there are acts that are wonderful i mean russell howard is popular with teenagers because actually he really knows how to talk to them and they enjoy his stuff there are certain acts like that that can really um you know entertain that audience but it's hard i find it very hard um and we say up like from six we think kids can really grasp what a joke is Hmm. um but there are some five-year-olds that really get on board there are some four-year-olds that get on board it's very you know depends on the kids uh really um but i think six six plus is is probably uh the, the the rough age that, that kids really start to understand wordplay and how to structure a joke and 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 when people are being silly on purpose you know and they aren't just falling over or whatever a good point uh, and actually there's a part of that that you're talking about the age range there's a there's a real essence of developing new talent in comedy club isn't there it's not just about the shows of the the big names it's also about kids writing their own stuff and workshops and developing new material yeah so we've got loads of kids that are now doing stand-up and they're all frighteningly good at it and um what you realize as well is that they you know a lot of stand-ups um they used to sort of say i don't people say it so much now but you say that it would take you 10 years to get really good at stand-up um and of course for a lot of the kids we work with 10 years of stand-up they're only 17 by the time they finished or 18 (laughs) and uh and we had one of our former workshop kids won the big so you think you're funny competition last year oh um, wow finley yeah and um because he'd already been he'd been in stand-up since he was seven and he's now 18 19 absolutely he's a professional he's been doing it longer than a lot of neuro acts <laughs> he was pretty, he walked on stage immediately knew his set did it all professionally um you know I, I think the hard bit is that a lot of the kids we work with come to us at seven eight nine and they are fine to stand in front of an audience and talk to them mm. about anything and they've got lovely views on the world they're so imaginative and and can think of lots of funny things and then they hit about 12 13 they suddenly realize people are watching them and it all becomes a lot harder and so yeah actually again a bit like with the material for teenagers it's, co- it's sort of coaching them through that bit and getting them to still feel comfortable uh about performing um which i think is hardest but quite a lot have come through the other end and are still doing comedy so it, it's really it's I, I don't know it feels really rewarding it is and i and i've i've i, I was lucky that the, the time that i performed with with comedy club down in london is that i got there early uh, because i was i was nervous about starting and being in the re- venue at the right time but i got to to see one of the workshops happening and it's a really open forum it's it's basically you know kids going i'm going to try this out and then if nobody laughs go oh, well, that one didn't work did it we'll move on to the next one we'll try something new and there's lots of improvisation stuff and and games and keeping it fun and light it's it was a real a real kind of experimental lab comedy lab sense yeah it's really supportive and i think it's you know um there was originally some years ago i don't think people mind so much now there was a lot of criticism about comedy courses stand-up comedy courses Mm. um which is essentially what i did at university and i have to say i think having supportive people around you at the beginning is so important Mm. um because sometimes gigs can be really hard if you don't know anyone there and you're turning up and you're just doing five minutes and you've never done it before and it's you're really opening yourself up you're not um you know, I, I think sort of actors, uh, which I hugely admire, but you're playing a character and you're doing someone else's writing. I mean, stand-up, we're a bit like poetry. You're doing your own words and you are you. So you're really opening yourself up to the audience. And 
having people around you and your beginning to just guide you through that first bit is so helpful um in confidence building i think really really key and i i think there's we, we're gonna have to you'll have to put a list up of uh, of, of people we should watch in the future because uh i, I think I, I really do think, i mean I'll, I'll certainly check out finley's work but uh, it's uh, uh I, I really do see a, a lot of potential coming from uh, a, a lot of potential laughs coming from from your way i think <laughs> Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. Right, but just uh, just your second music choice coming now. Um, it's uh, and a completely different direction. You've gone to Nat King Cole. Yeah, I just, I mean, again, like I said, I find it very hard to pick songs, but I think this is genuinely one of the most beautiful songs ever. And I know, I know this show's all about words. I think mm. there's not many words in this. It's a very, very short song and they're all beautiful um, and they're all very moving and poetic. And I can listen to this song any time, really. Um, I just think there's... Um, I don't know. I, 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 it's one of those songs that takes me somewhere else when I listen to it, uh, and I, and I just, I, I think this should be held as one of the all-time most perfect bits of music. Well, then I shall let Nat King Cole uh, speak for himself. <laughs> Dedicated to the Rossendale Valley, this is your very own Rossendale Radio. Welcome back to the Weekend Wind Down. It's Paul Jenkins with the third part of our Waffle segment this afternoon. We've been talking comedy with Tien and Dewey-Ebb, uh, covering all sorts of things, uh, including uh, Finley Christie's uh, win on uh, So you, They Think You're Funny and Comedy Club for Kids and big gigs that he's done with Frankie Boy and all sorts of other things. Uh, but actually, we're going to we're gonna talk podcast to podcast for a second because this is the Waffle Bite Size podcast talking to the partly political broadcast. Now, what what, what is what is that all about? <laughs> Um, well, that is my. Um, is it, we were talking about comedy club for kids before. I should. I feel like this is my way of balancing myself out. I do lovely, happy comedy for children. <laughs> it's all about how exciting the world is. Mm. And every week, I also do a weekly uh, comedy politics podcast uh, where I'm fairly grumpy about the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that keeps me sort of healthy. Um, but my partly political broadcast uh, is simply. It's it's a mix of me doing stand-up, really, mm. um, about the previous week's political news um, and political subjects. And then I also try to interview someone who's really on the ground level with an issue. So I, I try not I try not to talk to politicians. My rule is I don't want people just sort of uh, doing the party line. Yeah. So instead I speak to campaigners and I speak to experts and I speak to, um, you know, people who are having to deal with whatever the issue is. Um, so, for example, this week I'm speaking to someone uh, from Keep Our NHS Public, which mm-hmm. is a big campaign about privatisation of the NHS. And previous weeks, um, I spoke to a futurist who could tell me all about what he believes that will happen after the pandemic. So it's trying to get different levels of expertise and try and teach myself uh, about them. And then that's all balanced out with the comedy. So if the interview's a bit too miserable, <laughs> then we laugh <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> I was going to say, do you get that? Do you get some some people who are really good at and, and the most knowledgeable people talking about their particular area, but aren't that funny or aren't that <laughs> or are not? Yeah, well, I mean, I've really um, I, I've changed it. It used to be that I'd try and make the interview a bit funny and ask some silly questions. And now I've realised, actually, it's more useful for people to just uh, give them time to talk about something interesting. Because on the news, often you only get one or two minutes to try and go into these really deep and complicated issues and so i say to you you've got 20 minutes please just inform me you don't have to be funny and then i buffer that with comedy that i do on the rest of the show and right. sort of, people seem to quite like the the mix of, of uh, tone i think that it that it gives and i think it also makes you absorb the information a bit better if before the information you've heard me doing some really stupid jokes 
and do you, uh, and do you think i mean there's there's obviously this kind of um idea that 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 comedy is is sort of slightly lefty that there's that that, that we that we can't laugh about people that have those kinds of opinions on the other side there's always that that battleground does it always does comedy always have to be that kind of you know this versus that kind of thing it, it it doesn't it doesn't it's always have to be that um and there are quite a lot of sort of right-wing comedians that, that are about now and touring mm. but i think like a, a big thing of comedy um and i you know I, I, i'm gonna sound a bit nerdy here but you know it, all, one of the original comedy kind of characters ever was the jester and it was all about the being the, the person who could make fun of the king without getting in trouble um without being <laughs> executed and um, and i i always think that like, comedians we are about uh sort of attacking power really or attacking mm. what's in power and even if that's if you're a surreal comic and you're talking about nonsense you're you're still you know taking on how things are you're taking on reality reality is the big power and you're kind of changing it by being completely nonsensical and bonkers yeah um And I think that as a comic, it's our job to look outside the box and give a different point of view to what the general way of things is. And at the moment, for example, conservatives are in power. So to be a comedian, why would you talk about the people that don't have any power? Why would you make fun of the things that don't have any say in how the world is? You want to be poking fun at whoever's at the top. Um So I think I think that that is in the most sort of simple form. I think it is true, and and I think we live in a fairly novel time as well. In that you know we're looking. I mean, you look even if you're looking on a world stage. There's almost sometimes people with. I mean, I've I've seen you know certain things. You know, certain pieces of advice that might come out of certain uh, countries in the world uh, from their certain leaders. Uh, might, <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people you did that I've, very well. I've seen, I've seen I've seen comedians just going. I can't write anything to better that. So it's does it does it make it a challenge sometimes when you get such extremes as we we we, we are living in a, a time of extremes, I suppose politically. Does it make it more of a challenge when when they're pushing the envelope even further than the comedians would have done in the first place? Yeah, I mean it's it's tricky because I'm I'm quite uh, critical of people who say oh satire is dead because things are too ridiculous now. <laughs> There's always a way to look at it that is different and funny. And I think as long as you're not just repeating what the person said and saying well that's the joke. I mean, you know, it is funny, but our job as a comedian is to take that and make something more from it, take it further. Like um you can always extend a joke and see how far it can go and make it even funnier and even sillier, take it to its illogical conclusion um so i i'm sort of um of the opinion that no matter what is said and how ridiculous it is by say those in power you, you can still do something else with it and take it somewhere else or relate it to something else they've said there's always there's always ways to work on it um i mean i hope so otherwise i'm in trouble very soon <laughs> <laughs> Well, your your podcast is continuing. It's it's, it's carried on uh, sort of during the lockdown, hasn't it? So, uh, where, whereabouts yes. can we find uh, you and uh, just generally stuff about your work? Uh, the big trick, Paul, is that people have to be able to spell my name. And ah, that is yeah. a challenge in itself. Um, if you throw a lot of vowels into Google, it normally just ends up with my name. Um, you, you are officially so... the only Dewey Ebb I've ever met. I, I, I've never come across another. I don't know if there are others. Maybe you made it up. I'm not sure. <laughs> there aren't many of us. There's very few. There's a few in, in London and a few in Wellington Garden City. And then there's loads in Paris. <laughs> and then loads in North Africa. Uh, loads oh. in Tunisia and, Mo and Morocco, um, who I've never met. So uh, I, I don't know if I'm related to them at all. But <laughs> that's that's where the name originates from uh, somehow um which is fascinating i had a I had a, a delivery man the other day correct me on my pronunciation of it um apparently oh, i've said it very wrong all along so oh well there, there you go, go. 
Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, if you find me at tnnduyem.co.uk um, or on Twitter at tnnduyem um, or just my name everywhere and uh, Partly Political Broadcast is on all of the podcast apps um, everywhere or at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk. Excellent. Right. Um, well, just to finish the show, um, I kind of feel like I've, I've left a little bit of time for this because your final music choice, I mean, it literally is new music. This is at the cutting edge, at the forefront of what's <laughs> being released today. I mean, this is what the kids are listening listening to. Um, and you've, well, last week we had a Eurovision special on our, on our uh, request hour. Um, you've taken us to Iceland now. Yeah, well, I, right. Firstly, I think the Icelandic Eurovision entry that hasn't happened, obviously, because it didn't happen, is a genuinely brilliant song, right? And I, I normally watch Eurovision to be sarcastic about it on Twitter. <laughs> but this song, ever since it came out several months ago, is so catchy and so funky that I love it. And my daughter has become a big fan of it. She's only two. And she calls it the Wiggle Your Bum song. Okay. And she dances around to it. And... This song I picked now is uh, now I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It's either Dale Frere or Dale Frere. I don't know how you pronounce his name. He's six foot eight and has very long hair and um, it's very quirky. <laughs> and his song "Think About Things" is wonderful. But Hot Chip have done a remix of it and it's amazing. And now my daughter dances around to that instead. So this is particularly the Hot Chip remix uh, and uh, of of Dale Frere. My Icelandic is also not great. Um, so we're going to be we're, we're going to be having a listen to that. Do you, do you, did you miss Eurovision this year? I did, you know, I did. Like I said, it's it's funny, and I used to just think it was. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of cheesy music, uh, and I, I'm one of those. I'm a music snob, and uh, I always just used to think, oh, Eurovision is rubbish, and everyone's just performing nonsense. And and I think thanks to social media over the years, I've really enjoyed being able to do jokes about it and getting into it, and and sort of oddly started really liking it. And <laughs> now I really look forward to it. So yeah, I missed it this year, and I, I I know they did a great job with the show they put on, but it wasn't the same. It's not. We need them all. Back. we need people in ludicrous costumes uh singing yeah. well coming coming from latvia but singing in portuguese and and, yes. and all sorts of other things right well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this afternoon tiernan uh, and uh, i hope at some point or another uh, that uh, that i'll be able to get to a gig and uh, we can have a we can have a conversation face to face again wouldn't that be lovely that would be lovely i hope that happens very soon thanks tons for having me on thanks speak to you soon 104.7 rossendale radio We've got a little bit of a bonus this week on Waffle the Bite Size podcast in that we but basically we're coming across poetry all the time. And sometimes you need to highlight something that's that's happened out there that, that's really kind of grabbed you. Uh, and of course, I've been working uh, with lots and lots of primary schools up and down the country uh, and all sorts of other schools that have now started connecting up because of the lockdown. Now, one of those is the Royal School in Wolverhampton and their teacher of year six, Miss Adams. And one of the things that she did, she worked with her whole class and they got together a across uh, sort of digital airwaves uh, and they all I think they had a zoom call together uh, and they all started putting in uh, their ideas for a poem that they could write together and what they did do was they wrote something which I found really touching and I said to them I would share it and I'm doing so now uh, it's about our key workers in this time of darkness we hide away our fears but we must talk and speak out get rid of those frowns and tears when our hearts and souls are empty, only filled with worries and doubt. Kindness, love and sharing will send the badness out. It's time to come together, people's precious lives at stake. Being kind is more important than ever, so don't be selfish and take. Think of others in your community, because right now there is no solution. We must show courage, strength and unity, togetherness, inclusion. A few months of self-isolation 
then there will be a worldwide celebration. We will cry for those we have lost, but we will finally realise the cost of friends, family, freedom and health, all of the things that give us true wealth. So let's thank the NHS for all that they have done. Hang in their world. This battle will soon be won. And I don't think there's ever been a truer word spoken. Hang in there. This will all soon be done. And so we come to the end of another Waffle the Bite Size podcast. My thanks go to Tin and Dewey for being my guest this week. Uh, it's, as I've always say on the weekend wind down when I'm talking to people on the air, uh, we could talk for, for three hours uh, to, and not get enough out of them. Uh, but in the case of Tin, and I'd probably just listen to him talk and me be uh, rolling around on the floor laughing uh, because he's a very, very funny man. I thoroughly recommend going to check out his gigs and, uh, and maybe even some of the online gigs that he was talking about during the course of the interview. Uh, and hopefully I'll get to see him uh, live very again very 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 soon uh, my thanks as ever go to melanie kemp and to lee ball for their work on waffle the bite Size podcast and of course to our friends at rossendale radio for allowing us to broadcast on a sunday in the first place stay safe everybody and we will see you all very very soon